good to be home. It's always good to come home. Vacation's good. Family's good. Travel's good. It's always good to get home. If you would, open in God's words to the book of Acts. Be in Acts chapter 22 today. We'll do a little review in 21. As we recall that Paul is coming back. He's back from his third missionary journey. He's in Jerusalem. He and James concoct a squirrely plan to bring themselves back under the law and offer sacrifices for four gentlemen that are completing a a vow that they made. Fortunately, God prevents them from going through with the sacrifice part of it because in chapter 21, verse 27, it says, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the multitude and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law in this place. And and as we know, that Jesus fulfilled the Jesus fulfilled the law, Jesus fulfilled the and Jesus fulfilled and this right here they're they're hitting two of the three right there. He says that he's teaching against the law and he's teaching against this place, the temple. Well, he wasn't preaching against it. He was just preaching that it had been fulfilled. The Messiah had come. The Savior had come. And they didn't acknowledge and recognize that. They were no longer under the law. Messiah had come. Not against the temple, not against the law, but that they were fulfilled. That they didn't need to worship there anymore. Remember when Christ died, the the curtain was split right down the middle. And that was so that we each had access into the Holy of Holies. We each individually have direct access to God the Father. Didn't need to go through that priest that would go in there one day a year into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. That's done away with. That's that's fulfilled. Christ fulfilled that. He is the one that made it possible for us to have direct access to the Father. Because of what he did for us on the cross. Well, the Jews, and as so often happened as Paul was on his missionary journeys, the Jews that, that still believed that they should be under the law would stir up trouble. And, and we're going to read in a couple of minutes some of the trouble that, that he encountered. But they start stirring him up in verse 30. We said that he, he took hold of Paul. They, they took hold of Paul to murder him. In verse 33, the Roman commander took hold of him to save his life, basically, to pull him away from that to be, so that justice could be done, so that they could find out what the charges were and, and whether what they were doing was something lawful, something that the Romans could sign off on, say, okay, do whatever. But he was going to give him a chance, and he brought him into the barracks. In his first defense, Paul gets the opportunity, end of chapter 21, verse 39 and 40, he gets an opportunity to speak to 
to the mob in, in the Hebrew dialect. And I don't know if you remember, but it, it said at the end, end of verse 40 that a great hush came over the crowd when, when the Roman commander was giving Paul a chance to, to speak to them. A great hush came over. And then in chapter 22, verse 2, as he spoke in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. They wanted to hear what he had to say because he was speaking in their language. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word, open our eyes, give us understanding, and, and change our lives, Father. Um, help us not to be the same next Sunday when we get here as we are today. Help us to understand that 86% of people come to church because they're invited by a friend. Father, let your word change our lives. Let your Holy Spirit affect that change and give us the power to be obedient to you, just as Paul was here, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, even to the, to the point of that it might cost us bodily harm, even death. Father, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 22 is, is uh, Paul sharing his testimony he, he, he tells about on the, the road to Damascus. He talks about his seeing the risen Savior. He, he was given the privilege and opportunity to look into heaven and see the risen Lord. Verse 15, he, he, he starts to get a little on the edge because he says, uh, For you will be a witness to, um, to all men. Now, he doesn't mention the, the G word there, the Gentiles, but it's all men, and, and some of them probably started to scooch a little bit in their seat and get a little uncomfortable. But then in verse 21, as, as he continues on his testimony, he talks about uh, the Lord talking to him, telling him to get out of Jerusalem in verse 18. Then in verse 21, he's God's... Jesus said to him, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And that's when they lost it again. They weren't going to have it. The Jews said, no, this gospel doesn't go to the Gentiles. This is ours. We're selfish. We want it just for us. Away with him again. Away with him. So one more time. Uh, verse 22, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Because he was going to take the, the joy of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. So once again, the Roman commander steps in, verse 25. The, the, the Roman commander says, okay, we, we, we don't know what he's doing wrong. The, the, the crowd really hasn't given us a reason or any laws that have been broken here. So maybe we'll, we'll try a little persuasion here. We're going we're gonna to tie him up with some leather straps and beat on him until he tells us what, what, what this is all about. What's going on here? So the, the uh, Roman commander Lysias leaves, leaves his guys in charge and they, they start to get the strap ready, ready to hit him. And he's, Paul says, wait a minute, time out. He says, is it? legal for you to do that to a Roman citizen? Is it legal for you to do that to a Roman citizen who has not been condemned by the courts? You've not even tried me. 
And here you are already going to the punishment phase. Ought you to be doing that? I don't think that you should be doing that to me. So, if you would just quickly, uh, let me see if I can find, it's in Corinthians, I know that, 2 Corinthians, turn to 2 Corinthians with me. It's right there. 2 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 3, give no cause for, he's going to tell us that this man is not afraid to suffer for the name of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 6, 3, giving no cause for offense in anything in order that the ministry be not discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance and afflictions and hardships and distresses, in beatings and imprisonments and tumults and labors and sleeplessness and hunger. When's the last time any of you did any of this for the cause of Jesus Christ? When, When was any of this ever required of you? in purity and knowledge and patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and genuine love, in the word of truth and the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death. This man knew what it was to suffer. Over a couple of pages to chapter 11, verse 25, 24. Five times I received from the Jews 39, five times, five times, 39 lashes from the Jews, from his own people, not even from the Romans. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day have I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, and dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship, though many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, There's the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. First Thessalonians two two. But after he had already we have already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid such opposition. Earlier and and uh early missions trip with Paul and Silas. They were beaten with rods. I don't think any God frowned on him. I don't think anybody frowned on him this time for saying, time out. Time out. I'm a Roman citizen. Should you be doing this to me? Hey, I don't, I don't, I don't think that anybody's going to hold that against him. He's, he's getting older. His, his body's been beat on. Been wore out for Christ. He says, time out, you shouldn't be doing this. Verse 28, chapter, back in Acts chapter 22, verse 28, the commander answered, I acquired my citizenship with a large amount of money. Paul said, I was actually born a citizen. 
Therefore, those who were, who were about to examine him immediately, <laughs> that's how they phrased that. They were about ready to examine him, okay, with, with a scourge, with, a, with, with metal chunks and leather straps. They, they were going to examine him. Yeah, just ask him a few questions. Commander was also afraid when he found out that he was a Roman and because he had put him in chains. This man suffered for the Lord. I think, I think, he, earned, I think he earned the right to, to use his citizenship card just once and say, you can't do this to me. And again, the, the, the Roman commander, he says, well, he said, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what the charges are against this man from the mob because they couldn't put coherent sentences together to tell me what the charges were. I was going to scourge him, but I, I can't do that because that, that's not right. That's not legal. He says, ah, well, the next thing, the next step. Because again, nobody has been able to verbalize what the charges all are against Paul. So he says, we're going to send him to the Sanhedrin, to the council, as they were called. If you recall earlier in the book of Acts, there were 70 of them made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. They were the religious elite of the day. And at this time, the, 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 uh, the Sadducees held a larger number of seats in, in the council than did the Pharisees. But if you recall, Paul was raised a Pharisee. So he understood what was going on in, in the council. He was privy to all the inside scoop and the information of how that operated. Verse 30 of chapter 22, But on the next day, wishing to know for certain why he had been accused by the Jews, he, the Roman commander, released him and ordered the chief priests and all the council to assemble. And they brought Paul down and set him before them. And Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. There's a lot of discussion in the commentaries. How can he say that about his life before he knew Christ when he was persecuting the church? As ill-conceived as it was, he thought he was doing the right thing. Now, there's a word of caution, and I'm going to read just a short clip from uh, Henry Ironside uh, about conscience. In, in what, there was a, wasn't there a Disney, was it Jiminy Cricket or something that had... The little conscience that was that Peter Pan? Pinocchio. Pinocchio. There we go. Pinocchio. I was I had I had a vision of Pinocchio with the nose in my head and still said Peter Pan. All right. So anyhow, that that conscience um, is is not that 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 one okay is not to live by. Caution. Henry Ironside says. Conscience, uninstructed by the Word of God, may lead people to do the most unscriptural and even evil things. He gave an example of, of a Hindu woman who will throw her baby over a cliff or into the water because that's what she feels in good conscience her God told her to do. How evil is that? So we know that the conscience isn't something, our, our own conscience is not something that we can live by. Because we are sinners, we are evil, 
We do not have a pure conscience. Don't live by your conscience, okay? Unless it is instructed by the Word of God. Find out what the mind of God is and then act accordingly. Okay? I, I, I don't ever have to look for an excuse to go to Philippians 2, but here we go again. Philippians 2, have the mind of Christ, be of one mind, not of your mind, not of my mind, be of one mind of the mind of Christ. Let your conscience be instructed and guided by the Word of God, by a fulfilling relationship with Jesus Christ, and then you can lean on your conscience, okay? And Paul says here, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. Now, just, just as, as um, Paul, Paul, he knew how to, I, I, don't, I don't know if it was intentional, if it was led by the Holy but he knew how to push people's buttons, okay? As, as, as he did... Uh, As he did live, okay, what am I thinking here? Oh, when he, when he, in, um, when he talked about going to the Gentiles, that, that Christ had told him that he would, um, there we go, verse 21 of chapter 22. He said to me, go, for I will send you away to the Gentiles. You, you almost wonder sometimes, and, and this is probably the, the not good conscience on my side or the, 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 not, um, the not holy side of me. I, I just wonder if Paul wasn't like, Okay, watch this, guys. I'm going to push this button and see what happens. Because he said he used the Gentile word and they went berserk. And I don't, there, there's nothing that says that he did that here. But whatever, he, what, whatever the high priest took it to mean that Paul said, he let his button get pushed. The high priest did, okay? In verse 2, he says, The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Now, what in the world is so bad about what he said? He says, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. Well, we know from history, uh, other church writings of the, the church fathers, that, that this fellow, the high priest Ananias, he was, a, he was an evil man and a crook. He thought nothing of stealing the offerings. And, and he, he just wasn't a good man. You wonder why he was the high priest. And, and we'll find in a minute, we kind of wonder, think Paul wondered why he was the high priest. Okay, But for whatever it was, uh, if, if he thought this was, if, the, the, if Ananias thought that Paul was blaspheming by, by saying that he had a perfectly good conscience before God, Whatever it was, he told somebody standing nearby, because the, the, the way the, the council was set up, the Ananias was, or yeah, the high priest was probably about 50 feet away from where Paul would have been standing uh, in the defense box, okay, to, to present his case. And so Ananias wasn't, as the high priest, wasn't going to get up and walk all the way down there and smack him. So he told somebody standing next to him to do it for him. Said, so strike him on the mouth. Real quick, I want to go back to John eighteen twenty two. You can you can stay in Acts there just for a minute. Verse twenty 
The high priest therefore questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together, and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. Behold, those know what I said. And when he had said this, one of the officers standing by gave Jesus a blow, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, bear witness of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? And that was towards, towards the end there of Jesus' uh, trial and time uh, before the crucifixion. Here, the, the high priest again tells him to strike, to strike Paul on the, on the face. Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. And do you sit and try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? Now, that, 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 there's a lot to unpack right there, okay? But Paul basically is saying, you say that I have blasphemed or that I have said something against the law, but you're going to break that same law by telling somebody to strike me. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't jive. That doesn't come together. That doesn't work. There's, there's, several, there's several thoughts from, from several different commentaries on, on perhaps Paul didn't realize that it was the, the high priest that he had responded to um, because it wasn't an ordinary session of the council. The high priest may not have had all of his garments and robes on. <coughs> Excuse me. So that Paul wouldn't have recognized him, but being 50 feet away, there's some that say that Paul wouldn't have recognized him anyhow because his eyesight was going and, and wasn't that good. Maybe he didn't understand because of all the commotion that was going on who actually gave the order. Maybe he couldn't even tell that it came from, from that position at the other end of the council chamber. And Paul had been out of town for many years and didn't know who the high priest was. These are all ideas or thoughts of, of biblical scholars as to why Paul may not have understood that, that that was the high priest. But you sit you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law you order me to be struck. You whitewashed wall. That was not a compliment. Maybe if I was a kid and my, my mom told me I was whitewashed that means I had a bath and was clean or something. This is not a compliment. This, Paul is, is not trying to be nice to this guy, okay? But the bystander, bystander said, do you revile God's high priest? And look at Paul's response. Immediately, Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And again, why, why, didn't, he, why didn't he understand or realize that that was the high priest? Maybe because he didn't think that a high priest would lower himself to contradict the law that he's trying to enforce. That's a, and knowing, knowing how intellectual Paul was, that, that's a, that's a, uh, it makes sense that, that he might have thought that. that. That this man couldn't possibly be the high priest or he wouldn't be doing what he's doing. 
but he was wrong. He was. But immediately, when Paul is made aware that that was the high priest that told him to be struck, he immediately said, I was not aware, and he quotes the scripture in, in his repentance. He's basically apologizing. He said, if, you know, basically, if I had known that was the high priest, I would not have called him a whitewashed wall. But Paul immediately confessed. He knew that, that he was wrong. In, in now, do you, do you ever, if, if you're going into a, a, a courtroom, you're going into to face charges, and you know that I wasn't going to go there. If you know that the jury is stacked full of members of the team from the other state, the jury's stacked against you, okay? And you know you don't have a chance of winning. You know that there's no way that you're going to get a fair trial in that courtroom. What do you do? Well, Paul dropped back and punted, all right? He, he says... And, and this, is, this is another one of those occurrences of the button pushing going on. Paul says in verse 6, But perceiving that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying. He's thinking. He's thinking, all right? He's got a plan here. Paul begins crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. Push the button. He brought up the resurrection. Well, what do we know about the Sadducees and the Pharisees? The Pharisees believed in the resurrection, and they believed in angels. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that there was life after death. When you die, that's it. That's why they're sad, you see. Brethren, I am a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee. I'm on trial. He, he, he knows that he's not going to get a fair trial. He knows that if this continues on, I mean, he's just insulted the high priest, the, the judge of the, the whole council. He knows that if this goes on, there's a real good chance that he's going to be taken out and stoned on the spot for blasphemy. And remember, in the back of, back of Paul's mind all along, his goal is to get to Rome. He wants to get to Rome. And he's, he's, he's smart enough to figure out if they kill me today, I'm not going to get to Rome. Romans 14, 19. Because I live, you shall live also. We know... We know, and there's always the, the move this time of the year to tie the, the birth of Christ into the resurrection, the death burial. I mean, that's why he came. He came at Christmas so that Easter could happen, so that he would die for our sins, that we might have eternal life. And the only way we can have that is through Jesus Christ. But he... he, he he brings up the resurrection. 
Verse 7, as he said this, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And there arose a great uproar, and some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and began to argue heatingly, saying, We find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. Paul knew he would get the Pharisees on his side because he was one of them. And he knew that he would be somewhat protected by, by, bringing up the, the, by causing a division in the council, by causing an uproar. Verse 10, and as the great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them and ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. Paul was no dummy. He knew that he wanted to get to Rome and that if the things continued down that road they were headed in front of the council, he would never see Rome. But then comes verse 11. I don't know if you have a a top 10 favorite Bible verse list. This this would be, I don't know if it would make my top 10. It would definitely make my top 50. But it it might be, if you think of all the Bible verses, probably my top 50. Hope I can make it through it. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must bear witness at Rome also. Where is the safest place in the world you can be? In the will of God. Christ talks to me right here and he says, I've got you, Paul. I've got you. You will testify for me in Rome. You will make it there. And he does it on the very night. Very night. That once again, the Roman commander has to pull him out to save his hide. Take courage. This isn't the the Old Testament. If it were, in the Hebrew it would say, Rakshazak. Rakshazak. Be strong and courageous. Joshua 1.8. Be strong and courageous. Take courage, for as you have witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness in Rome also. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. The safest place you can possibly be is in the will of God. Because if you're in the will of God, you'll know and understand that this this is just a temporary tent. It's momentary. It's brief. Eternity will be with our gracious God and Heavenly Father. So the safest place to be in the whole world is in the will of God. Acts 20, 24, Paul said, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. 
And God is going to, because of, because of Paul's faithfulness, God is going to honor his request and his desire to make it to Rome because he has been faithful in declaring the word of God. Acts 21, 13, Paul said, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. How much do you love your neighbor? We know that that you have heard the truth. As far as I know, probably everyone in here is a believer in Jesus Christ. But there's a lot of people outside these doors that don't know him. And those 86% are waiting for you to tell them of the truth of Jesus Christ. Because otherwise, they're not going to hear. They won't have the opportunity to know Jesus. Take courage. Take courage. He is on the throne. Behold, our God is seated on the throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold, our king, nothing, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. That you will always be there for us. And Father, as temporary and such a short time that we'll be here on this earth. Help us to prepare for eternity by being obedient to you. By showing our love and our faithfulness to you through our obedience. Thank you that Paul was bold to proclaim Christ. Father, give us that boldness this week even today, that we would be bold for you. Thank you for his testimony. Thank you for his example. And again, Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at your church calendars. Be aware of your opportunities for the week.